Hello and welcome to Heads Together on Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke. I'll be introducing my colleagues very shortly, but just to let you know, we've got a special section in today's show featuring William Shaw, and that'll be talking about the Crime Time Roadshow. So listen out for that. Now, my colleagues are... Victoria Thelman. And Barry Forshaw. So let's start with the watch list. This is where we ask critics to recommend one title a month and the readers will enjoy. So Barry, you chose Exiles by Jane Harper, and so did Craig Sisterson, actually. Yes, I wrote in the FT, Antipodean star Jane Harper, whose novels featuring federal detective Erin Falk, have securely located her in the upper echelons, and so far she's being very consistent. Uh, I don't know anybody yet who's reacting negatively to these books. We all, and Craig and I agreed, it was really excellent. This is Exiles, as you said. It's not quite as, as impressive as The Dry, uh, mm. which is still a terrific debut, isn't it? But mm. this is always a problem, isn't it? How do you follow that stonking debut? How do you follow a debut? I was actually reading um, an interview from um, with Catherine Stockett, who wrote The Help. And it's interesting, right. she hasn't bought anything out since she was at the time. This is when it first came out. She was working on a second novel. And yet, obviously, she's, she's not brought it out. And I yeah. think when you've had such huge success, it's terribly difficult, isn't it? To... Well, it goes back to uh, Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, doesn't it? His yeah. whole career was just downhill after that first movie. I'm not suggesting yeah. that's the case with Jane Harp. <laughs> no, definitely not. She's maintained a level. I haven't read Exiles yet, but she's obviously brought back Aaron Folks. How has that yes. worked, you feel? And, and what's good about it is that she develops him in different ways. So yeah. he isn't just repeating the... Um, it's like yeah. people now saying about Happy Valley. How do you bring back the central yeah. character Happy Valley? Or even to go back further to uh, Elizabeth Salander. How do you bring back a character who's very specific to that narrative Mm. and give them all the same problems again? You can't. You can't. They have to evolve. I didn't think it worked as well with with the character in the second one. It's force of nature, isn't it? It was almost like he was a device. It didn't feel like he was really pulsing. So I'm interested if you think it's working better now. That's interesting, yeah, because I would say if you thought that, you'll think Mm. that those problems have been solved in this one. Okay, that's interesting. What about your choice, Victoria? Um, I've chosen, and for a particular reason, The Case of the Alpton Angel, and that's uh, Janice Hallett's new book. And the reason I've chosen it is not just that it's a, it's another great read from Janice using, um, now Barry, you're going to have to help me out because I always pronounce it wrong, the epistolatory style, is that how I said it? Epist- epistolatory. Yeah, I got it right. There you go. Um, <laughs> except it's it's modernised, isn't it? Because it's with emails and transcripts and WhatsApp messages and so on. And she does that very, very well. And she's obviously continuing that theme from her last two books. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good read. And I'm um, I'm actually talking to her on the 6th of March in Trafalgar Square in Waterstones. So anyone who right. might like to come and listen to that conversation, oh, just go onto the Waterstones website and you can get tickets. She's, I think she's sort of taken it up a notch, actually. I found um, the first book, The Appeal, which was great, but very, very cosy. The crime itself was very cosy. And she's branching out now into cults. And um, really going quite deep um, and managing, it's very interesting, to incorporate um, psychological explanation in a very simple and natural sort of way. So she's not lecturing us, but at the same time, while reading it, I'm feeling like I'm learning something about yes. the machinations of also, she's As you said, you mentioned that she, she has this cosy demeanour, mm. but she's doing something, she's kind of reinventing the cosy form. Yes. And I'm yes. not sure people who just want undemanding cosies would like yes. that. Which That's is, what which I'm is wondering. <laughs> yes, but I think they would like the first one. The appeal yes. was very much of that sort. But like I said, I think she is branching out now. And and yet what's interesting is very much resting clearly on the sort of the cosy appeal. 
pardon the pun, but you know, if you look at the cover, I mean, it's obviously very um, Osman-esque, isn't it, in terms yeah. of the italicized writing and so on. So she's she's certainly going for a certain niche, but I think she's doing something new and different within it. That's interesting. I mean, we're certainly getting more novels written this way now with with bringing in texts and all sorts of social media and things like that. And it sort of died out, didn't it? I mean, it used to, yes. you know, there were some great novels that were written. And of course, it was just about letters back and forth. And now, of course, it's coming back with these these modern forms of social media and so on. I was just going to say, there are epistolatory novels that can't be read. Pamela, if you ever tried it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, one should read all the great novels, but Pamela has always... Pamela's hard work. Yeah. But that's a really interesting point you raise, because in a way, it feels like an easier thing to write. You're writing letters. You're not having to draw out the sort of con- conversation and description and everything else. And yet, clearly, that's not that's not true. It's not everyone can pull it off. Okay, my own choice was Joseph O'Connor, My Father's House, which is a literary thriller. It's set in Rome in 1943, and the Gestapo are in control of the city. The Vatican is neutral. And it's the story of a priest who runs an escape line for Jewish refugees and escaping prisoners of war. Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty was a real person, so a lot of the information in the book comes from his own letters and diaries and so on. It's just, though, that this huge character, this guy who's big-hearted and courageous and an intellectual, is so brilliantly represented on the stage, as are most of the characters in the novel. Um, And it's about the good fight, the best and worst in people and the good fight against Nazism. It's a a truly compassionate novel. And I think it's one of the... Is it a little like Schindler's List? Yes. I mean, a lot of people will say the Irish Schindler, you know, that will be Ah. the way they refer to him. Um, it's just that this is the sort of thing where you you kind of hope sometimes that from fiction people can learn from history. Yeah. Yes. This is one of those novels where I think, yeah, you actually do learn something from this. Sounds absolutely fascinating. I hadn't heard of it. Oh, it, it, no, it is truly a remarkable novel. I would say a fine novel, absolutely, well worth reading. And when you say novel, are you? Is it largely based? I mean, obviously, the character is based on, on something real. Is, is yeah, but it is an actual novel. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a right. fictional account of the man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sounds good. So um, just to go through the others then, we had, I don't know if you covered this, Barry, Death and the Conjurer by Tom Mead was uh, Maxim Jakubowski's choice. No, I didn't. It is a good novel. It's very enjoyable. It's about a Jewish doctor in London who's murdered, and it's a locked Mm. room series. Um, And actually, it just turns out to be very enjoyable stuff, you know. Um, Jake Kerridge, now I don't know this one, he chose All Things Dangerous by Stacey Willingham. Ayoana Tade chose The Last Orphan by Greg Hurwitz. And, Do I uh, interview? Interviewed- I did. He'll be the interview will be coming up on the sofa in a few weeks' time, won't it? Yes. Well, it's an action-packed thriller that uh, does what it says on the tin. And Laura chose. I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. And if you want any information on any of those books, just check out the program notes. So, Victoria, we're going to be discussing the final roadshow event uh, in Brighton with William Shaw later. But just give us a little taster on the roadshows, please. The roadshows, I'm terribly excited. Actually, I'm kicking off on Thursday, the 20 in Waterstones, Islington, with Lisa Jewell and Mark Edwards. So a fabulous duo, and we'll be discussing uh, building suspense and tension in crime fiction. Then the following week, on March the 1st, I'm going to be busy, I will be down in uh, Goldsborough in Brighton with a, another fabulous panel, Ruth Ware, Ellie Griffiths, and Araminta Hall, celebrating women in crime fiction, both as writers and uh, players. And um, then I have a Bay Tales event. So the Bay Tales Festival will be doing a fringe event there on true crime with Abigail Dean, 
Fiona Cummins and Cara Hunter, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, of course, true crime is one of my very favourite topics, so I can't wait to delve into that with with those uh, great authors. And uh, so the other thing, of course, is um, Gwil Crime Cymru, which is coming up in April the 21st to the 23rd. And the news from our point of view is that we will be the official podcast. Yeah. On this occasion means me. Um, but I'll wander around for the three days of the festival and I'll be chatting to guests and the organisers and chatting all sorts of things about books and the place and some history and things like that. And we'll be doing a podcast every evening of the festival. So we'll have three podcasts that will go out and it will cover all the issues in the festival. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. It's the first time we've become an official podcast anyway. Yes. So that, that's no, it. I think it'll and be it's the first, the first live international crime festival from Wales. Yes. So that's Great news. That's but Barry, true. you're also uh, at the Gwil Crime Cymru Festival in uh, Aberystwyth. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, I've got a variety of interesting writers. I've got Cara Ramsey and James Oswald, who I've done several events with, Douglas yeah. Skelton, Chris Lloyd, who I haven't met yet, but um, I hear good very nice match from, from Paul Burke about that. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to um, I know various parts of Wales, but I've never been to Aberystwyth. So I'm expecting Paul to show me all the flesh pots of Aberystwyth. <laughs> <laughs> well that'll take us five minutes what are we going to do for the rest of the week <laughs> it's an um, interesting festival there are um a hell of a lot of panels they're very ambitious on this first festival aren't yeah they? i think also there's this, this connection with the television as well because obviously i think people will know some of the welsh television programs coming out like the pembrokeshire murders and hidden and uh, hinterland and shows like that you know yes. so there's a lot going on in wales and i actually i feel this is a very good time for welsh crime fiction Yes. Yeah. yeah. Alice Hawkins, well, I, Chris Lloyd. I think you should say that because I looked up the other day, and I'll probably talk about this at Aberystwyth. A Welsh writer I had a meal with 25 years ago. His name was David Williams, not to be confused with any other David Williams <laughs> or Williams. He was he is a company director and could not get published for Welsh crime novels. He finally did, and he was quite successful because people would say, There is no crime in Wales. Nobody will accept that there is crime in Wales. Scotland, fine. Wales, no. So things yeah. have changed, haven't they? They have, definitely. No, there's definitely going to be, a, you know, people are going to think about Wales in the in the same context as they do about Scotland and Ireland, I think, coming up in the future. So a lot of fine writers anyway. That's really good news. Mm. What about Blu-rays, Barry? What have you been yes. working on? Well, I've had a few interesting ones recently. The I've done They Might Be Giants. Now, have either of you heard of that film? I have. Okay, it's um, it's it's a it's a Sherlock Holmes film, but it isn't about Sherlock Holmes. It's about a deluded a businessman played by George C. Scott who thinks he's Sherlock Holmes. Oh, it, it's a significant film because it's got the first female Watson. There have been several. Uh, Joanne Woodward plays Watson. That's her name. Uh, yeah. Everyone around him regards him as deluded. There's a quite an interesting thing about it. In this sort of story. Somebody who thinks that they are Sherlock Holmes has to finally behave like Sherlock Holmes. He finally does solve a crime. He finally meets Moriarty. And it's it's a clever film. It's a comedy as much as a, okay. a yeah, drama. Yeah. I've had um, uh, Croupier, the last Mike Hodges ah, right. uh, penultimate film, which is a shame. Poor old Mike has finally shuffled off this mortal coil. But mm. he went out with two really good uh, crime movies with Clive Owen and uh, Universal Noir to go back to the you know, the original, the great film noir of the 40s, and something called Rogue Cops and Rebels, which has David Hemmings. A lot of English and American actors went to Italy and had this kind of, shall we say, when their career is not at its best. They go yeah. to Italy, and they are still big stars there, and they make lots of films. They're very Somebody successful. Somebody gives them a good wedge of cash. 
Indeed, yes. And they have an Indian summer. And David Hemmings, who was some distance from Blow Up and films like that then, right. does very well in these films. So it's great. Uh, uh, it's hard he to turn from that beautiful, sexy 60s icon. Yes. The, those wild eyebrows. The eyebrows. Yes, if one's eyebrows, if you've seen them, Victoria, his eyebrows, they reach to his the crown of his head here. Um, it's, it's sort of, it was a feature almost as much as Poirot's moustache. Yes. You can't take you can't take your eyes off his eyebrows, <laughs> and you think, well, why did he not just? Whenever I go to, I don't know about you, Paul. The barber says to me, "Trim your eyebrows, sir." Yes, which is that? Is that a thing? Time. I didn't know men did that. <laughs> yeah, every so, yes. Yeah, so there's uh, there are as many good, uh, maybe not as many good crime Blu-rays around as there are books. You guys are lucky because you just have to read all the books, don't you? True, true. I suppose. Moving on, how about show updates? Now you did mention the police one uh, there. Victoria, tell us about your recent broadcast. My recent broadcast. I've had um, a great panel on journalists uh, turned crime writers with Simon Mir, who wrote, of course, Khan, Cyril Saltoon, whose latest novel is The Dirt, and Fiona Barton. And they're all award-winning journalists. I mean, really, really um, decorated is the best way I can say. Mm. Um, and they've now become novelists. And it was really interesting. I was, I was reading... Um, an article that I was preparing for the interview, and I was reading an article in Writer's Digest, and it talked about, um, there were two different articles. One was about what we can learn as authors, we can learn from journalists, but also what journalists get wrong when they're writing. So it was a very interesting set of, uh, it was an interesting chat uh, looking at both those different I angles. think it's like, what happens is the chat takes off. You know, there's a point where it suddenly ignites and people are yes. back and forth, and that's brilliant. You know, Paul, that's absolutely it. So I always start, I, um, I know you're the same, of course, with a whole list of questions because you never know which way things are going. But invariably, when I look back at my notes after to, to type up my descriptor, because I'm trying to do that a bit, being a bit more organised, I find that I haven't asked half of them. And it is because the conversation mm, yeah. has become organic. And, and I always say to my guests at the beginning, you know, there's no fixed time. It normally runs for this time. And I have a list of questions, but don't worry if we only ask one. And then I always say, and that's normally the sign of a really good chat, but I've only asked one of my questions. Do you think, and that, would you yeah. agree with the following, Victoria, and with you, Paul, that when mm -hmm. you're interviewing people, if you've got a crime writer who was a journalist, they're yeah. all, like Fiona Barton, they're yes. always value for money. Yeah. Very always. much so. <laughs> very, very much so. Yeah, no, we had a really good chat. I mean, though, it was a great dynamic, you know, and you don't always get that. Because I think the best the best shows always when the chemistry is good between the guests, um, and that that was a very good one. Um, and the other one um, that is out at the moment, we've just released today, is of course as we mentioned, the one with uh, Peter James and Graham Bartlett, sharing war stories is the best way I can describe it. But what's particularly interesting is they both write what we call cop thrillers. But Graham, as we've said, is an ex policeman, not just policeman, ex chief superintendent. Yes, and he actually advisors Peter James and others he worked with Lily Griffiths and Mark Billingham and, and various people on making sure that the stories are authentic so to have the two together who have a working relationship and really know each other's work well uh, and just mention one in the future the next one coming up will be thriller writers isn't it yes so that's um that's the one with Greg isn't it the Greg Greg Hurwitz and, and David, David Baldacci which we were and that was another one that was just again I had a whole load of questions and I think I asked about three and it was just a chat that took off and I think it's because um Baldacci and Hurwitz know each other and so it was just mm -hmm. it was really good fun and I've of course interviewed Baldacci before so again there was that we sort of knew each other there's no barrier to overcome which is often the case at the beginning of an episode I find did you know Victoria that Greg Hurwitz writes for one of the world's great detectives and you haven't read them. Do you know what they are? No. 
Batman comics. Oh. Greg, Greg has had a run on Batman, and they're really good. Now I feel so <laughs> cheated. I didn't know that, and I would have asked him all about it. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about my shows. And Simon Mason. Oh, uh, I have to thank you for, Barry, because you suggested right? I should chat to him. I'm um, having lunch with he... him tomorrow, Paul. <laughs> all right. Well, pass on my regards. I will. Um, we had a, no, we had a fine chat, but it goes to the character thing because the first novel sets up two characters. You've got one working class down and out cop, you know, and you've got another one who's a high flyer and it's sort of complete and utter contrast and so far so same. But when he develops the story and the characters start to develop and you see in the second novel why they're behaving the way they behave and how their attitudes develop, it becomes truly fascinating character study. Mm. Mm. I was just amazed by this novel. It really it's also was interesting what so interesting cool. about Peter James writing a Brighton crime series that uh, Simon takes on Oxford. Well, there is yes. a fairly well-known literary detective who works Well, that's in the point, because my first question to him was, well, okay, you're in Oxford. What about Morse? What are you doing? Did it give mm. you pause for thought? Mm. So, interesting anyway. And um, I've also interviewed uh, Louise Candlish recently, and I have coming up, because of his 700-page historical novel, an interview with John Sayles, uh-huh. the Hollywood director. <laughs> I mean, that'll I could... Really, that'll be really interesting, because Tarantino's book, has been read much, and John Sayles was always a writer. You yes. went to him not just because the films were well-directed, but because they were so well-scripted. So the auguries are good for that. Yes, uh. you can imagine that. I'm absolutely fascinated by that one. And what about yourself, Barry? What else have you got going on? You mentioned well, something, actually. You're taking Simonon back to Belgium, in fact. <laughs> yes, I've got a copy of the Brussels Times here. Right. And they said, would, would you mind writing uh, an article on the fifth most famous Belgium of all time? Don't ask me who the other four are before before you ask. <laughs> and they said that's fine, and we want a, a, an English perspective. I must admit, I'm now to the point where I'm slightly on autopilot. Where similar mm. mm. I'm not sure how many more pieces I need to write. <laughs> it does get to that point, doesn't it? You've almost said everything you can think of i think when you've done a lot of promoting well well the approach for this the editor of the magazine which is a glossy magazine was the fact that a lot of belgians don't really know about uh, cinema, which is kind of surprising yes yeah. do they know the he's word. belgian uh, the writer obviously simonon is belgium not I wonder, I wonder if they think he's french yeah because mm. because Maigret is french and mm. you don't know do you so um mm. and i've been working out paul the the next um lot of um things for the ft can I mention a couple of names? Yeah, please do, yeah. So Small Mercies, Dennis Lehane. Right. Um, a new book by Ursula Larsson, a very good Swedish crime writer, The Sins of Our Fathers. Uh, Don Winslow, City of Dreams, another in the sequence. And Sarah Ward, who have you interviewed her, Victoria? No, I haven't. Oh, you need to. She's yeah. She's very good value for money. Um, Anna Mazzola's House of Whispers and um, Viper's Dream by Jake Lamar, which is no exit press. Uh, I did have John Bamble, but he's been taken away from me for a, a longer civilist review. Ah, right. There we go. Still, though, that's, that's a pretty heavyweight list, Barry, to be fair. <laughs> well, Dennis Lane, I it. think, is possibly, almost certainly, now that James L. Roy is a, a kind of hit and miss, Dennis Lane is Dennis Lane is probably the number one American male crime writer, mm-hmm. even, including, even including James Lee Burke, I'd say. I wondered. Right. Even including James Lee Burke. Mm. Praise indeed. Um, I wonder what you think about something because we're off our topics now, the topics that we had to discuss. But um, I saw something yesterday. There's a, no- a novel by an author called Dipti Kapoor, Age of Vice. 
and it's attracting a lot of attention. You know, it's 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 got a fantastic story to it, but it's also a very a socially aware book. You know, it's set in India, set in New Delhi, in fact. Anyway, the point about it is that she did an interview with a guy uh, for a show called Thick Skin, and what he does is he interviews authors about the bad reviews they've had. Oh God, how awful! <laughs> I just wonder what you thought of that. Would you like well, that, Barry? I'm not yeah. sure I would. So, uh, my, I've got my I've got my line, which we all have. You may have one, Victoria. I haven't got maybe, my line. Can I help me with the never line? had a bad review. <laughs> I had a line on Amazon that said, and it was about my Stig Larsson biography, I hope every penny that Barry Forshaw has made from this book evaporates from his bank <gasps> account. Oh. And it was so personal. I thought, wow. That's horrible. Is this an old girlfriend? Is oh, what? Yes. <laughs> Where's yes. this coming from? I in think fact, that'll be my excuse now, though, for every review. Well, it must be an old boyfriend. <laughs> the problem was he'd <laughs> said... Trail of broken hearts, you understand. He finally said, um, he has just trolled the internet for people who knew Stig Larsson. And I was tempted to say, no, I went to Sweden. I went to Denmark. I, I don't think you even need to begin to argue yeah. that. I mean, we all know how... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I didn't I mean, this go is a man. This is a man who researches how to say somebody's name when he's presenting <laughs> <laughs> but basically, as you know, Victoria, you never reply to bad reviews. No, never, never. And actually, that's interesting because a lot of people on, have you seen this on social media, is they get tagged in these bad reviews, which is obviously horrible. But then they start responding. Oh, you know, and so-and-so tagged me. And this is what they said. And, this, yes. and I think, no, you just, you just yeah, don't. It's a, it's a rabbit hole. You, you really it's can't go down. Hole, just ignore it. Well, it depends if you've got the energy. Alex North. Uh, mm. Is, I don't know these days, he used to take on people in long political discussions. And I said to him, mm. why are you doing that? Uh, you I wouldn't. You should, and he's a really good writer. Spend yeah. that energy on your books. Yes. He said, he said, it gets it off my chest when I do these things. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's anything to be won. I don't want to debate that kind of thing. No, I agree <laughs> with you. I, I think I, you can't win. Even if you win, you can't win. You can't win. No, Might you're well either, in an echo chamber or speaking to somebody who won't listen. So what's the point? And I think you were you were talking also, Paul, about um, not cancelling, but sanitising certain authors. Oh, yes. huh. Well, obviously, most recently it's come up with the Roald Dahl thing. Yeah. So, Victoria, what do you think of that then? <laughs> what do I think of that? I just <laughs> I've just written a piece for Matt Nixon actually for the Express about this, right? And uh, and it's interesting, isn't it? I just I mean, Dahl is all about the language. I mean, that's why we love him. I mean, mm. these made up words. I'm just, Smalls cucumber or whatever, and squelching children, not just the witches, not just referring to killing children, but squelching them. I mean, the onomatopoeia and the inventive yes. language, and the idea that we might need to squash that and that it will still be all right and it will still be dull is just nonsensical. It's crazy. Never mind. And it's not like, well, people who've been arguing for it have talked about his anti Semitism, mm. but that is correctly uh you know but this is uh, this so this is like i actually put this in my initial article i was actually Mm. saying you know here we are debating whether the words like fat or small yes or the word black has been removed there's a black tank or something there's a description of a machine which is now just a tank so i didn't know Mm. oh i see what you mean right i thought you meant the umpa lumpas no no originally that that is also they they were were they no no the word black as an adjective is removed from the new right i see yes I know another one was a scratchy. A woman had a um, a screechy voice, yes, mm. and it was changed to scratchy because screechy well, implies creature. Yes, <laughs> and of course you can't. And I hope you remember this, Victoria. You can't ever describe a, a character as fat anymore. 
Well, I tell you what, I am now going to put fat in every single page of my next book just to make a point. <laughs> Actually, I didn't tell you that I've been working on a version of Victoria's book, removing all the disturbing bits. I've sent it to your version of my book, removing yourself. So what do you mean? <laughs> it's cleaned up. It's it's got a lot more puppies. Truly in it. darky yeah. deeply is now just truly deeply. <laughs> I've added a puppy detective because I thought puppy that for every sense. murder. <laughs> No, it is interesting, though, because I, I was talking to an American author the other day, and he said that the sensitivity reader for his novel had actually mm. told him to remove the word terrorist. Yes. And, it, so you know, I mean... not tell stories anymore? Is that what it's about? Well, the, you know, this is, I mean, that's the point, isn't it, with, with the Roald Dahl thing? At the end of the day, if you don't yeah. want people, if you don't want your children to read those Roald Dahl stories, you don't have to read them. No. But if you're going to change them like this, really, honestly, you might as well just yes. not publish Roald Dahl ever again. But do you Absolutely. remember... The... You either... Yeah. The first crime writer for whom this happened, famously, is James Hadley Chase. So I remember when I, No Orchids and Miss Blandish is a famous book, an English <laughs> writer set it in America. Shocking book. My mother said she was told off by her mother for reading this pornographic filth. Very <laughs> successful book indeed. George Orwell produced an article called uh, Raffles and Miss Blandish, in which he objected to the book. The version of No Orchids, which you now read, is censored by Hadley Chase himself. He was so upset by by Orwell. So the killer, for instance, it's a sexual experience for the killer. That's gone. Lots of things in them. So it's nothing new having a book sanitized. No, I suppose oh, there's not. A difference. There's a difference, isn't there, between an author doing it for their um, own work and somebody else. And yes, surely, surely, I mean, we've talked about it. a point, because the author did it based on criticism. But it was their choice and their work. But for somebody... Actually, hang on. I suppose it depends if you're told to it take does, it does, doesn't it, really? It's sort of, it's not as clean cut anyway. As, it's as not it as clean cut. And surely thing. crime fiction isn't just, to, we've talked yeah. about this, isn't just to entertain, it's also to comment. And if we're being censored, how can we comment effectively? Yeah. But I mean, yes. and if something is wrong, I mean, for instance, I think we should talk about anti-Semitism when you get mm. a character like Roald Dahl. But mm. the thing is, you know, it's to talk about it. That's the point. You can't, if you hide an issue, if you cover it up or you mm. just expunge it from history, Yes. Shakespeare is another one. I don't yes. want to lose the Shakespeare plays, but we should absolutely yes. be aware of Shakespeare's anti-Semitism. Well, did you, did you but see it was the... a product at the time. And on that rather controversial note, I'm afraid we'll have to cut it short because we're about to talk to William Shaw. Uh, so it's goodbye from me, but please don't go anywhere. Bye from me. And bye from me. The three Ronnies are off. <laughs> bye now. So thanks for listening so far, everybody. Um, let's go to that special we talked about at the start and talk about the last event on the roadshow in Britain with William Shaw. So we're here to discuss the finale, and we've actually talked a little bit about the first three events on the roadshow. So, Victoria, the finale. The finale is going to be our biggest and best show yet. So as I've said, we've recorded, um, we've already had the show with Lisa Jewell and Mark Edwards, which was absolutely fabulous. We played to a packed house. It was standing room only, and uh, they had a rock star entrance, and they were rock stars from start to finish. So really, really excited about how that went. Um, and I was People saying, can see that on social media if they want. Actually, can they can see that rock star thing. Yeah, we recorded it. <laughs> rock star walk in. It was it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I was saying to William, of course, before we hit record, just now as a special guest. So hello, William, and welcome. Love, lovely, to, lovely to have you with us. But okay. we were saying before I hit record that I was on such a high still a week later after the first road show that I think it's going to carry us all the way through to the next ones. And of course, we were finishing off in Brighton, back in Brighton. Um, for a grand finale with yourself, of course, Peter James, Simon Toyne and Graham Bartlett. And we're going to be chatting about a fabulous topic, 
of police thrillers, although I suspect as well as dissecting the genre, we'll also be sharing a, a fair few stories. What, what do you say to that? <laughs> well, I just, you know, put on stage with those three. I'm happy to natter about anything. It'll yeah. be a lot of fun. It really will be, won't it? I had yeah. um, Graham and Peter on the show on on the sofa and it was a brilliant episode. I mean, as you know, of course, because you've been a guest yourself on the sofa, normally we really get under the skin of a topic. But with those two, because they've, they've worked together. I mean, Graham Bartlett, of course, advises Peter James on his books, as well as being an author in his own right. And my golly, the stories that they were sharing were, were absolutely extraordinary. Stories you couldn't make up. In fact, stories so brilliant that they, I, th- I think, have, have taken from them and put them in their own novels. So I'm really looking forward to a little bit more of that on the stage with you guys. Well, I was going to say, William, do you use a police advisor? Well, there's a guy called Graham Bartlett who lives oh, in yeah. Brighton. <laughs> oh, and he's been really useful. Uh-huh. <laughs> On your door. Actually, he's, you know, he's such a good friend that I'm having to hold it hold back because generally when I when you hit something, it's, oh, I'll just ask Graham. Like, I, think, I can't just ask him every five minutes. Yeah. So I'm having mm-hmm. to you know store up a couple of sheets of A4 before I go back to him next. It seems a little mean because he's so generous about stuff like that. And he's also yeah. so intelligent. The great thing about Graham is he thinks story. He's not yeah. just a He's not just police. Uh, I can remember when I was writing a book called Salt Lane and I, I had a um, a gun um, siege in it. And he goes, oh, William, 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 don't put a gun siege in it. Gun sieges are really boring. Knives, <laughs> knives, use knives. And he was absolutely right, because if you can knives, you can, people can see each other, you know, mm. eye to eye. You know, he's really useful in thinking about story, let alone logistics. Well, he was very interesting because when he and Peter were talking, Peter was saying how he gets lots of um, scripts from from people within the police. And normally, you know, he reads them. He's very generous with his time. But normally it's like, oh, God, here we go again. But then Graham sent him his. And he was like, oh, hang on. Here's something really quite special. So you're right. He really Graham's Graham's novels are very different. Mm. Surprisingly, I must admit, I was a little surprised for a policeman. I I suppose I was expecting something that was a little bit more respectful. And that doesn't mean that every copper's a bad copper. But there's certainly no blinkers on these novels. But also, when I met him, I was expecting somebody who looked and acted more like a policeman. <laughs> this guy was in charge of Brighton, for goodness sake. And Brighton's quite a busy town. All sorts of things go on. There's all been sorts of things like that. You know, not only does he seem about 25 years old, but he's just lovely, isn't he? <laughs> no, you know what I mean? he doesn't. <laughs> 25 years he, old. No, he does seem lovely, though. I, was, I suppose I, it changed my idea. When I listened to the episode you did with Peter James and Graham Bartlett, Mm-hmm. I kind of, I suppose, had an idea that a police advisor would be somebody you'd go to and say, look, I've got this story and I want you to tell me, would the police officer in this situation do this? Mm. And I'm sure there's a lot of that. Mm. When I was actually listening to Graham Bartlett and Peter sharing stories, I suddenly realized he probably provides an awful lot of stories for authors, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think I think also, like any author, what you find is once you learn the truth of a situation, stories come out of that as well, don't they? Do you know what I mean? Mm. You learn. I mean, you know, like. um you know, Peter's obviously really, really always looking on on the lookout for for new types of policing. And, you know, like mm. you'll find something like gate analysis or something like that and think, oh, yes. how's that going to help me? And out of that comes story. You know, yeah. and I think that's that's the um, that's the fun of it. It's not just making sure whether you're right or wrong, you know. And there is that question. I mean, it's a topic we discovered at the Roadshow event with Lisa Jewell and Mark Edwards. And we were talking about authenticity and how authentic we really have to be as writers, because after all, we are writing fiction. And are we allowed a bit of leeway? Mm. But I wonder if that's the case for certain novels and not others. So for a police procedural or a police thriller, I think maybe we do have to be that more bit more authentic because our readers are expecting something a little bit different, perhaps. 
Well, I think it's interesting the fiction we accept with police procedurals, isn't it? I mean, mm. a lot of police. I mean, a we live in a country where hardly anybody's murdered. Whatever the stat, whatever the, the yeah. newspapers say, we live in a very, and yet when you know we're at least two or three people a book. You know, yeah. aren't we? Where you know, Midsummer murders. <laughs> Oxfordshire County Council used to have a website called Visit Midsummer. Yeah, um, bless them. And they had a little <laughs> counter on that website that had how many people have been killed in Midsummer. And last time I looked, it was two hundred eighty-seven. Um, but you know, we're, we're writing a fiction. We're writing a fiction that that two or three people solved the crime. Yes. And they don't. It's like you know, in a, in a major murder, it's it's a hundred odd people involved. So I think it's really interesting how we. I think it's more about how we convince the reader something's true when they kind of know yeah. it's not. Oh, nice. That's so. Is it detail? Is it sort of little bits that you put in that that give some authenticity, and then you can sort of go back to story if you like? Yeah, I think so. I think that's exactly it. Mm. I think we, you know, we tell them the truth about X, Y, and Z in order that we can lie about A, B, and C. Right. Uh, and I think that's a contract we make with the re reader. And if we get X, Y, and Z wrong, they disbelieve the story. Mm. If we get it right, then they say, "Oh, we can kill as many people as you want." <laughs> That's, but that's funny, isn't it? Because that's a con man. I'm, my my book I'm working on now actually is about a con man. And it's interesting because that's the same MO, isn't it? You scatter just enough truth that you can then feed in the lies so you'll be believed. So we're basically... I suppose it's that, yeah. <laughs> that thing with a con man, like, you know, he'll pick up your wallet on the street mm. and hand it back to you. Yeah. And then trust is established because yeah. he wants to do something much more wor yeah, much worse. But that's that's really what we do. I like. I like that too. We're giving the reader their wallet. We're and also, we are doing like a con man. We're doing a conjuring trick, aren't we? Because it's what we hide. It's what yeah. we hide. We know the ending. Yes. We know who's done it, and we've got to hide it. So we say, "Oh, look at that person! Look at that person! Yes. They look really bad." But it's actually that the other person. It's a lot of direction goes on. So con man you conjuring is got that. to have a reader's got to have all the clues. I mean, that's the contract, isn't it? That actually, if you go back and once you know the answer, you can see all the clues are there, and you can kick yourself. And if they're not, if they're too hidden, then you feel cheated. So it's exactly a conjuring trick. You're right. But it's also my kind of theory about why um, police procedurals are such a superior genre is because they have to get stuff right. They have yeah. to get a you know X, Y, Z right. And yeah. actually, the more they've had to do that, they didn't really have to do that 50, 60, 70 years ago. Now no, they really do because readers yeah. are harder to convince. So they've become a genre which actually tells the truth about some aspect of the novel in a really interesting way mm. and and actually i think that's why it's such a world-beating genre even if um you know um we haven't been recognized in our world beating this it's because we do we get we get some things right about relationships or society or a town or you know mm. natural history or something we get that absolutely right and we talk about it in a really interesting way in order to do that misdirection and it makes it a really brilliant genre and that's a genre you can believe in as well. And I think as well, I mean, I have this because obviously my my books are not police procedurals, but they're, I think that, well, they're psychological. So I'm really interested in criminal psychology. So for me, also, there's that element of you have to be right. The site has to be psychologically true. Um, and incorporated with that, and of course, what you're saying as well about the police is this idea that the reader should learn something, I think, without feeling lectured without feeling like they've sat in in a class. They've just almost absorbed, like Happy Valley. We loved Happy Valley, all of us, didn't we? I, can't, I haven't met a single person. We have debates about the ending, perhaps, and obviously we will not discuss those now. Um, but we love we love the uh, dynamic between the characters, obviously. But there was also the police element that was brilliant, and that that elevates it. And, and you know, we, we come away and think, oh, I didn't know that about police. Ooh. It was so authentic. I mean, it felt authentic emotionally and procedurally. It yeah. just felt like the best representation of what life was 
really right right for somebody just trying to do the right thing in those hard circumstances, didn't it? And mm. yet authentic without being bogged down by detail. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is key. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that the readers are very clever in a sense. If you think about it as a critic, part of my job is to take a book apart and kind of figure out what it's all about and then explain that to people in a sense. Mm-hmm. But readers do that in their own minds anyway. Whether mm-hmm. they realize it or not, they get to the end of the book. If you've done something that doesn't add up logically, if yeah. you've tried to cheat or anything, somehow, even inherently, they just know this. It just And the jumps. book fails off the back of that completely. Yes. So even if you're not analyzing it, you almost get it on an emotional level. Yes. That kind of uncomfortable feeling of, mm, I don't know, yeah. just quite sit with me. Yeah, I think that's what I mean, we, we And that we, makes the modern writer's job a lot harder. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And it's why it's such you know, it's why it's been so productive is because actually it's a hard job. It's hard mm. to convince a very clever audience. And they are very clever. They know a lot mm. more stuff than mm. readers used to. So we've mm. got to work really hard to, to actually pull them in. You can't in have any killer tarantulas anymore. <laughs> no. No. I think police procedurals particularly as well. I think readers are becoming more astute. I mean, they talk about the CSI effect. I know it means something slightly different, but it's that idea that we all, we're all a little bit more aware of how things work than maybe we were 20 odd years ago. Mm. Plus on top of that, there are so many things that the police can use to catch criminals that they couldn't have done 20 odd years ago that make our lives even harder. But yeah. it's also about the genre as a whole. I think, you know, I think um, I, I did this event in Faversham on Saturday and and in the audience was this woman called Mary Evans and she's a, she's a lecturer in sociology at the LSE. And she mm. has a book group that reads detective fiction and they wrote a book called detecting the social and it's basically they used it as a way of beating up sociology saying sociology stopped studying society it's become so up its ass about you know sociology itself that it stopped yeah, right. doing it for class but look at these books they're doing what we should be doing and yeah. i thought it was a lovely argument um but also it's kind of true isn't it but it's what they said is books as a whole do it. So you won't look for one author to do it, but if you look at current crime fiction as a whole, and that's right across the genres in crime fiction, you will learn a great deal about society, which is why what you're saying, you know, about you don't psychological thrillers exactly true. I mean, psychological thrillers were talking about what became the Me Too movement, like mm. five, six, seven years before Me Too happened. They began talking about this anxiety about women, about things, something's off, something's mm. really off. And that was the engine for a lot of great books. Yes. That's right. And actually, I was reading, I think it was Janice Hallett, actually, whom I'm interviewing on the 6th. And she was talking about, um, they talk about the true crime having a moment. And this idea that people have an idea that as writers, we're all getting on the back of that. No, well, you know, there's a trend and therefore we'll all jump on that and we'll all start talking about it. And what she's saying, and I think she's absolutely right, is no, it doesn't work like that. We're all commentating on society. There is this sense of something happening. So we're not jumping on a bandwagon. We are the bandwagon because we are reflective. She's such a clever woman, Janice Hallett. Mm. I think she's really, um, you know, her, you know. I think a lot of people think her books, oh, there's these deceptively little things, but there's a lot going on under there's the hood of those on. books. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. No, for me, I think that's that's one of the important things about the crime novel is it's a social novel. You can't yeah. get away with just telling somebody got murdered, somebody solved the murder. That just doesn't work anymore. No. Just can't do and it. And yet, again, it's like we were saying before about lecturing. It's a social commentary that's not obviously commentating. Mm. It's reflective. The atmosphere, the feel of the book has got to be right. But the minute you start, I mean, we've all read those books, haven't we, where they're sort of, they've got a drum to beat. And my mm. God, they're so boring. <laughs> yeah, we know our first duty is something else, isn't it? Our first yeah. duty is to make, person turn, make the person turn the page. Yes, it yeah. is to entertain, absolutely. Yeah. But to entertain, but also make it the best form of entertainment makes you think without you realizing you're thinking. Mm. 
Yeah, because you. I mean, it's part of the satisfaction when you finish the book and you take that little beat and you think, oh, yeah. And and that hap- can happen on lots of levels. But one of the things is just like, actually, yeah, this was really complete in many ways as a book. Yes, exactly. I always say I know I've loved a book if I can't immediately pick up another one after I finish that one. It's almost you have to have a mourning period. It's, you know, and you're letting it process. You're processing, I guess, what you've read. We should just make sure that we do get details in for people. So, as you've said, there's yourself and there's William Shaw and Graham Bartlett and Simon Toyne and Peter James will all be at this event. And it's the 13th of April and it's at 6 p.m. at the Friends Meeting House. The Friends Meeting House in Brighton, followed very excitingly by an after party at Goldsboro Books across the road, where every ticket holder is very, very welcome to come and get some drinks and to get books signed. And we'll have discounts on the books and you can chat to your your favourite authors. Mm. How how far (laughs) do you think you're going to get, Victoria, with topics and things? Do you think it's just going to sort of evolve into a conversation quickly? Well, you know, storytelling and storytelling. I don't know. You never know with your guests how it's going to go. It's interesting, Paul. I always say when I'm on the sofa on the podcast, I have always have a list of questions and I plan my episodes really carefully. But the best episodes are the ones where I ask one or two questions only and the conversations become very organic. Mm. And we will see. And I expect listening to William and knowing knowing the others that we will not be short of material um, and certainly a few stories along the way as well. No, I have a feeling you're right about that for sure. I'll put the information on the program notes and give the link there as well because we've got this organized through Eventbrite. So I'll make sure the link is available for people and people can buy tickets through that. Um, and, well, I'll be there. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this now. Yeah. I think a lot of people are. I think excitement's building on the internet. I see people talking about it much, much more now. Yeah, not just us even, so, so that's always good news. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> got William talking too, so there you go. <laughs> joking. <laughs> No, it's great. It's really good. And also, yes, do come along because, I mean, if you haven't been to Goldsboro Books before, it's a smashing little shop. It's a bit of a gem. So it's a nice nice excuse to sneak in there. It is. I have to admit, it's a few years since I've been to Brighton. So Brighton's gorgeous. I I keep going back now. My children, whenever I'm doing an event there, they come down and join me the following day because there's just so much to do. And once I'm there, I don't actually want to leave. (laughs) Oh, great. Well, you'd be very welcome. So thank you, William, so much for joining with us and uh, for going to be joining us as well at the event, uh, the On the Sofa Roadshow, 13th of April at Friends Meeting House in Brighton. And as Paul says, we'll have lots of links and details in the show notes. So really hope to see lots of you there. Thank Thanks you very, very much. much. I'm very excited.